0: Things are opening up in some parts of the world. We're certainly seeing it in New York City. Uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson says he remains confident that England's lockdown will end on June 21st. We're seeing things move forward. We know that there are still, though, some tough situations in some of the emerging parts of the world.
1: Yeah, according to the Bloomberg Vaccine Tracker, at this rate of vaccination, it's going to take more than a year to get the entire world to a place that. uh, would be a comfortable level to immunologists That's when it comes a lot. to herd immunity.
0: All right. So let's get to it. Dr. Ian Lusbader back with us. He's our clinical professor of medicine at NYU Langone. He is on the phone in New York City. Dr. Lesbader, nice to have you here. We were thinking, God, there's so many things we want to ask you. But uh, our David Weston caught up with Dr. Anthony Fauci this week at the Bloomberg Business Week live event. And he's like kind of questioning whether or not we're going to need a booster.
2: Hi, guys. Uh, Happy Friday. So um, just to clarify in terms of vaccines, because uh, I certainly, you know, in the hospitals, we do have our little sticker that says we're vaccinated. So that's not a a totally crazy idea. And just, again, to clarify, if you're vaccinated, if you're with other people who are vaccinated, CDC says no mask requirement needed inside or outside. There still are some businesses who will say you should wear a mask, Uh, hospitals, healthcare facilities. So. Uh, you know, respect where you're going because people uh, or individual businesses and facilities may say, even with a vaccine, we want you to wear a mask. If you're vaccinated, if you're with someone who is not vaccinated, you know, the risk is low, but not zero It would be kind to wear a mask. Think of the Yankees, right? They, um, were vaccinated, uh, several players and administrators, yet they recovered virus from their nose and screening, so low risk but not zero. And certainly if you're not vaccinated, yes, please wear a mask and certainly think about getting vaccinated. Um, In terms of boosters, uh, yeah, you know, we measure antibodies and, and certainly for six months or so those antibodies are high, but they do seem to drop down and we're not totally confident about T cell immunity. So it is likely at some point, maybe in the fall, we will need booster shots. And of course, the question is, will we need booster shots that are designed for some of the new variants that are coming out?
0: Are you guys planning for boosters at NYU Langone?
2: No, no. At this point, we really, uh, our vaccines are uh, distributed to us as everyone by the state, and those usually come in through the federal government. So they're distributed to the states and then given out to the individual uh, facilities.
1: Uh, uh, Will you go back and explain T cell immunity versus antibodies? Because I don't think the layperson has has a grasp of, of what that means and i i certainly don't and
0: by lay we mean yeah him and me. yeah me explain it to me really <laughs> yeah. we mean us
1: carol knows because she's know. asked questions about this
2: so you know for uh, just in terms of, of booster shots we have yeah. many vaccines we give out mumps measles rubella to kids hepatitis influenza shingles You know, we we do, over time, can lose antibodies and therefore potentially be susceptible. So we do do give booster shots. T-cells are a little harder to measure. T-cells are the memory cells. They're the ones that when the uh, B-cells that make antibodies... And those antibodies, for example, like in the Moderna vaccine or Pfizer, you know, the messenger RNA makes the spike protein. The body says, hey, the spike protein we don't recognize, you form antibodies. And so when the real COVID comes in, your body fights it off right away. Now, those antibodies are around for at least six months, we think, both with infection uh, and and the vaccine. But over time, they drop. We do think other cells called T cells or memory cells still will be able to to um, call up those antibodies with a little bit of a delay. Mm -hmm. The the actual memory cells, those T-cells to, say, the spike protein or COVID, are harder to measure. We do have some tests for that. They're not widely available, Um, and I think most people, you know, would say, that's good, but we want to give a booster to make sure the antibody levels remain high. That's the most secure way, but I think we're learning that even right. if your antibodies drop, you'll probably be okay.
0: Are we all going to go to, at some point, like kind of the antibody tests, like to get an idea of kind of where we are, which that data collection might help us in understanding more about the COVID vaccine?
2: So we're not widely doing that now okay. that's, you know, not inexpensive. As people who've had a shot, 95% have antibodies. You can order a sp- antibody to spike protein. I mean, if someone really, they have some immune issue, they're not sure they really formed antibodies, we're not doing that because that's another layer of cost on top of things. When you do order a routine IgG COVID antibody, it's usually for people who've had an infection. And those usually stay positive for six or eight months, but often they do drop down and patients are like frustrated. Oh, my gosh, I went through COVID and now I don't have antibodies. They probably still have some protection, the T cells, but we do encourage them to get vaccinated.
1: Do, uh, Dr. Losbader, what's a realistic way for us to think about, in just in the last thirty seconds, uh, how this is going to to play out over the next couple of years? Is it going to be just a, a, a yearly shot like we get with the flu shot, and then that's that's it? We're gonna we're gonna do that.
2: It, it may be. I think we have to see what happens in India and other parts of the world, Brazil. If there are widespread infections, as there are, and low vaccination rates, much higher risk of mutant uh, variants, and we may need to develop vaccines every year to those mutants if they can escape our normal vaccine. I think we have to wait and see what happens. But unfortunately, it's a possibility.
0: That's why some people say there's really no going back to normal because the world has changed because of the virus. doesn't mean things won't reopen up but it's going to be different. Maybe we can just get it with a flu shot. Yeah. Each yeah, right. I can, I can work with that. Dr. Ian Lesbader, have a good and safe weekend. He's clinical professor of medicine at NYU Lango Medical Center on the phone in New York City. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Bloomberg Quick Takes Tim Stenovic on Bloomberg Radio. What a great week, a busy one, another great new issue of the magazine, something Business Week has done before. The how-to issue is back bigger and better than before because along with it, uh, the actual issue is a Bloomberg Live event called, appropriately so, the Bloomberg Business Week. Five days of virtual live programming, bringing the magazine to life, a different vertical every day. Here with a recap, Bloomberg Business Week editor Jill Weber in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. You've had a really killer week.
3: It was great and, you know, we tried to, when we were thinking about this, we wanted to pair it with the magazine and basically Mm -hmm. bring the magazine to life in a way that we had never attempted to do before. So we took the sections of the magazine and basically um, themed days around them. And then there were little things like the back page, which we called the last thing, became a thing that we did every day. And so it was just a, a, a fun experiment. And um, we got a lot of great guests. We had so much great content in the issue from um from the newsroom and outside of the newsroom even um to do all these how-to stories so i'm very satisfied with how, how it all came
1: together well let's stick on the live event for for one second because there was so much great stuff from that this week joel and i'm wondering when you think about the names who you want involved how you come to those conclusions how you design it and how you think about those themes
3: well it, it really starts with the 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 themes of the day, right? So we started with a business and industries day, and we really wanted to lead in the companies there. And and then we did tech and innovation. It was like, who would you want to talk to on a tech and innovation day? Well, Kathy Wood would be a great place that to start, got. right? So, um, so we ended up having you know all of these things kind of come together perfectly, and you know it just starts with us making a lot of asks of people. And you know the other thing that that I think really made the event be especially special. Can I say that especially yes. special? Done. You're, you're uh, the editor. It's out there. You it, can say whatever Is that listening. it was this combination of live things, some of which were making news, with things that we had put prior energies into. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of a reflection of what we do in the magazine every week. We have the news stories and we have other things that we put that are still going to make news, but they they required some, some um, future planning. And so you get this little marriage of the two, and I really liked how how that came together in an event. I thought that that was special and unique, and and uniquely Business Week.
0: Yeah, those some of those pieces were just so much fun. Whether it's making a movie franchise, right, or making the best uh, chicken parmesan, I, you, or it was just they were terrific. Yeah,
3: and you know just to give you a sense of how the Justin Lin one is what, yeah. you, what you mentioned there, and he's the director of the the forthcoming Fast and the Furious uh nine and he's directed more (laughs) than a couple other ones and it that started brett Began, who is sort of the editor who is the mastermind of the issue he and i several months ago started having just weekly uh video calls with one another to kick ideas around and we're talking like that was in like january or february we started this And, and i i had just wrapped up watching um star wars stuff i think and i said what would it be like to do how to make a franchise that doesn't suck right like (laughs) that star wars stuff right now is so good but we all can admit that the the movies were not as good right and i said you know let's go to disney and let's ask them how do you make star wars not suck and uh disney politely declined and that (laughs) led us to
4: make a couple
3: couple other asks um and look fast and furious that is it has such a cult following i think that cult following thing is a thing that. We infused throughout the issue as well. Yeah. There's several other um, ideas that hit on that note, mm-hmm. and it it speaks to like you you get a rabid fan base, and you get to make that movie as long as you want
1: to make that movie.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: I love it, uh, Joel. What were what were some of your favorite how tos in here? Like, what did you come away with that that you're going to do differently?
3: So there's there's an art to all the how to articles in that you want to surprise people. And give them something actionable that they that they wouldn't have otherwise thought of. Um, and so there's there's some charming ones in here. Um, the the how to build a business online business, you know, OnlyFans. I'm not going to be starting a business on OnlyFans, but and <laughs> the most surprising thing to me was that people are starting businesses that are, have nothing to do with what you would think it would be about. A woman's basically has a whole new lease on life and she's transitioned out of personal training in person to do it all It's amazing. There. And so I just think that for all the bad stuff in the world right now and we've all been through plenty, there's this sense of optimism that I think some of these are, are rooted in of like, can you make aspects of your life better? So I know that's a roundabout answer for you, um, but I you know it's all it's all there. I mean one of the ones that I personally did, I interviewed Uh, somebody at nasdaq and i said you know what what's made you a better manager and she said well outside of my job i have this personal board and i have different archetypes on this personal board and i meet with these people one-on-one and i've had this kind of structure in my work professional life for years and it's brought you know it's it's brought success to my life my work life." And I just thought that was so f- phenomenal that you could, you know, outside of what you're doing yeah. during your day job, that you can put a structure on on, on yourself that helps improve your, your, how you look at work and career.
0: I feel like certainly the arc of the week and also every magazine, what I think is so great is you've got serious stuff that's on the economy markets, but then you can go and there can be something on, you know an alcohol or making the best burger, or there could be somebody like Deepak Chopra who's teaching you about kind of how to deal with certain stress of the past year or how to meditate.
3: Yeah. So, and you know, I should also mention that, you know, we had all this um, live programming through the week, multiple times. Carol Masser was a mixologist (laughs) and mixing cocktails. So, she so, got some good she got some good gigs I, pretty, you know I. And it was hope pretty that,
0: embarrassing that at it I,
3: I hope you that um, too you nice. know her cocktail game for if anybody's going to Carol Master's house this summer like I, I hope that there's some mean cocktails coming up
0: here's place. a bottle of wine guys <laughs> yeah. enjoy it enjoy
1: yeah there were a couple times where she left you know she had to leave the show early to go and you know quote unquote hey. work
2: hey, yeah. hey. 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 <laughs> so there's
3: a
1: surprise and delight element and I, I think that's what we try and do in the magazine
3: always is give you stuff news that you're, you need we we want to take you in on big stories yeah. um, that you're only going to get from Bloomberg, but we also want to surprise and delight you with some other content too. I don't follow well, this troll. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I, I, I leave it. I leave it to you all. But you but know, there's, we'll have a new, great there's a new next issue week. next week, right? We, we always do, and you know, we're often planning things way out into the future. And this was sort of the embodiment of that. I mean, to see what we did online, if you haven't seen it, go to uh, businessweek.com. Uh, to see all the videos, follow us on social. You can see all those. Like it, it, it took months to pull this off, and huge uh, kudos to everybody involved at, at Bloomberg for helping it all come together.
0: When do you start the, planning the next one? How to?
3: Oh, now. Yeah, I think we'll we'll do a little autopsy. <laughs> Sorry, under pressure.
4: Out
1: we'll I, you're, yeah, I mean I love your two dollar bill oh so so that one just so everybody can hear
3: it because it might be relevant on friday (laughs) uh, this dates back to when i was younger uh slightly younger not that much younger but slightly younger um go to the bank on a friday uh buy them out of two dollar bills and that's what you're going to tip your bartender with and it will be twice
1: as much as the person next to But it's already got me thinking about what I'm going to submit to you for next year.
3: Okay, all so right. pressure's on. Well, you can it's whisper a good to one, me though. after here, and we'll see. Uh, <laughs> that way you're not on the spot.
0: Well, the cocktails that I'll be making at my desk afterwards, you do not have to tip me. I'm just going to say, this time.
3: I haven't gotten to get the $2 bills, so <laughs> you're you're going to be light on a tip. <laughs> That's
0: so. a deal. Have a great weekend. It was a good week. Bloomberg Business Week editor, Joel Weber. Go to BloombergBusinessWeek.com. Check out all the amazing content and the new how-to issue. You're listening to Bloomberg. This is The Big Take, the best of Bloomberg's in-depth original reporting from around the globe.
5: What we have to make sure we do as the economy recovers is look at the data kind of broken down a bit.
4: These funds are becoming more and more expensive. You're be looking at $15 billion for the entry level. And there have
5: been waves of immigration that have faced a lot of resistance. There's a lot
4: of color behind the
3: scenes and a great untold story. How did Bezos really come out on top as the cover says
1: Jeff wins, he always seems to win? <laughs> (laughs) The Big Take on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Well, The Big Take definitely caught our attention today. It's also one of our most read stories on the Bloomberg about how world-dominating super firms, Tim, they are getting bigger, techier, and more Chinese.
1: Tom Orlick is chief economist at Bloomberg Economics, and he joins us on the phone from Washington, D.C. Tom, first of all, this is chock full of data charts. It is an interactive experience. I encourage everybody to check it out at Bloomberg.com. Take us through how you put it together, the analysis
4: that you did uh, to come to these findings. So what we've tried to do, Tim, is take a kind of grand sweep through 30 years of corporate history. Uh, We targeted the top 50 listed firms in the world, and then we pulled data on their financials and their market cap uh, from the Bloomberg terminal and ran a bunch of analysis. Um, And when you crunch the numbers, it tells you a number of stories. Um, So there's a story about a transition from west to east, the rise of the Chinese mega firm. There's a story about um, the fall of big oil and the rise of big tech. Um, And of course, there's a sort of a bigger story about the big getting bigger. Go back to 1990, and the top 50 firms in the world were, they they had a market cap of about 5% of global GDP. If you look at that number now, it's close to 30%.
0: That's a big change, and listen, we talk about inequities in our world at general, in general, you know, Tom, between individuals, but we're seeing it also happening within the corporate community. You just laid it out with that stat.
4: Yeah, and and of course the two are related, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about, um, we think about the biggest firms getting bigger, we also think about the entrepreneurs who created those firms getting richer, and so the dynamic between the big getting bigger in the corporate sector, uh, and the rich getting richer um, in society at large, these two trends are intimately connected.
0: Well, and it's interesting, you guys write too, the advantages superstar firms enjoy became all the more glaring during the pandemic. And it's it's why we saw an Amazon just take off like a rocket during the pandemic.
4: Yeah, I mean, the pandemic, Carol, I mean, as you know, mm-hmm. it was a disaster for the mom and pop store, right? the the corner store, which relies on foot traffic to drive revenue. They had a terrible time in America and around the world. But the biggest firms in the world, the Amazons, the Googles, the Netflix, the Facebooks, they were almost, they have a business model, which is almost tailor-made for the pandemic, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So the pandemic gave them sort of, it kind of compounded their advantage.
1: Where do taxes come into this? Because there's a striking graphical representation in here that shows the median effective tax rate of 35% in 1990 dwindled to only 17% last year. At the same time, profit margins heading in the opposite direction, soaring from 7% to 18% over that same period of time.
4: Yeah, I I think when we think about it, Tim, there's been this kind of this grand sort of theme in the global economy over the last 40 years starting with the Reagan revolution, which has really tipped the balance in favor of corporations. Tax rates have been cut um, and multinationals have become better at kind of shifting their profits around, um, sometimes in sort of fairly dubious ways um, to kind of maximize the benefit of of low-tax regimes. Um, And I guess a question which comes out of this research um, and some of the news flow from Washington, D.C. and Beijing is, well, are we now at another moment for the global economy? Is the kind of the Reagan revolution, which tipped the balance from workers to corporations, has that now run its course? And are are we at the beginning of a new period where tax rates rise, where minimum wages rise and the balance starts tipping a little bit more towards workers?
0: What's also interesting, and we kind of said that coming in or in the introduction, Tom, about the rise or the China rising, Uh, you know, we continue to see that. And that is not just in terms of their, you know, uh, impact on manufacturing globally, but it's just the companies they are creating are behemoths.
4: Yeah, so we've got um, Alibaba, the kind of the Chinese Amazon, Um, we've got Tencent, the Chinese internet giants, um, a number of Chinese firms which have kind of muscled into the to the top ranks. Um, and of course, there's an interesting dynamic um, there as well because the people who say we need to regulate firms more, right? Corporations have become too powerful. We need to regulate them more. Well, because of the dynamic between, the chi- between China and the United States, um, the, the giant firms have a pushback against that argument, right? And mm-hmm. we're already starting to hear some of the the U.S. superstar firms say, "Well, if you tax us more, if you regulate us more, if you kind of impede our dynamism, then that's going to make it harder for us to face off against these new Chinese behemoths."
1: Tom, I want to end with uh, just very briefly something that that you talked about a little earlier on Quick Take today, and it was capex and capex spending uh, as as a portion of a company's spending, and as as, as it relates to how many employees it actually has to hire and what that means for human capital?
4: Yeah. So if we go back to the to the nineteen nineties, Tim, and we think about the, the dominant firms then, it's industrial firms like General Electric, it's energy companies like Exxon, and they do a lot of capital spending and they hire a lot of workers. But if you fast forward to twenty twenty and you think about the dominant firms, It's tech platforms like Alphabet or Facebook, which can really scale without adding a lot of workers and without doing a lot of capital spending. And that's a really important shift in the way the economy works and something also that central banks and tax authorities need to keep in mind.
0: It's a really good point, important point to uh, finish on. Hey, Tom, thank you so much. It is the Bloomberg Big Take. Check it out at Bloomberg.com. Tom Orlick, he's chief economist at Bloomberg Economics from Washington, D.C.
4: I'm driving my car. I turn on the radio. Hey, how about you let me drive?
1: Oh, no. No, no, no.
4: Who's going to drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I want to drive.
5: You
0: drive
4: This drive baby. It's the question
2: that drives us
4: is the drive
1: to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio.
0: Yes, indeed, everyone. Just about uh, ten and a half minutes until the closing bell on this Friday. So let's get to it. And joining us uh, with a check on the drive to the close is Katarina Simonetti. She is Senior Vice President and Private Wealth Advisor at Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management. And she's back with us. She joins us uh, today on the phone from Philadelphia. Katarina, how are you? good, Carol. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, it's nice to have you here. Uh, We were kind of laughing, not laughing, uh, funny, not funny, about what a crazy week it's been. I mean, listen, the markets have just been uh, kind of all over the place. Uh, Volatility, we've had inflation concerns this week in particular Though we had a big media deal on Monday. We all had to wrap our head around remembering that it was just Monday that it was announced. Then you had uh, crypto plunging on Wednesday, bouncing back. It's under pressure again today. Uh, Retail earnings, there's just a lot being thrown at investors. And it does feel like we're taking a little bit of a breather today, a little bit of lighter volume. How do you see it? What is really driving uh, the trade, particularly among equities? Well, Carol,
5: certainly a crazy week. And I would you know, even expand on it and say, you know, that we had, you know, crazy six months. Uh, and naturally, when you kind of just take the whole market performance into consideration from the the performance of your, you know, the, your your average investor, the uptick that we have seen, you know, has been happening so quickly and to such scale um, that we've been calling for some type of a correction, for some type of a pullback in the market for quite some time. And we started seeing these pullback. You know as, as early as February March with first saw the rotation out of the expensive areas and then you know Eventually out of small caps, you know And it seems to be like that this type of market that there is going to be heightened volatility but at the same time all of this is happening within the larger context of economic recovery and This bull market that we believe that we find ourselves in so,
1: so in a bull market, but also ready for a correction? I mean, w- when you're thinking about a correction here, what are we what are you actually expecting?
5: So, Tim, bull markets tend to last for a while. Like, we have to remember that bull markets last for years. And I mean, look at the um, one that on,
1: lasted post-financial
5: crisis. Th- well, that's right. That, that That's exactly right. That's a perfect example. And in any given year over the last you know several decades, the uh, average pullback, the average correction, you know, has been around 14 percent. So we think that it is absolutely reasonable that we will have, you know, some type of a correction that could be anywhere from, you know, let's say 10 to 15 percent. But we also don't believe that it's going to be long-lived you know we're not looking at the recession we're looking at the volatility we're looking at market correcting itself which is extremely healthy you know at this point in time you know but it also comes with buying opportunities you know for investors I mean this is a great opportunity to rebalance portfolio and to take advantage of you know to of um, you know some of this uh, great positioning in this market
0: so where are the problem pockets of the market in your view
5: Well, really, the problem packets are the overpriced securities you know this is kind of something that is very easy to recognize in this market when we look at the valuations when we look at multiples when you know we look at the expected earnings you know we see those troubled children you know we 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 know that when when a stock or a certain sector went up you know so much in the short time frame that it is reasonable to you know to expect some type of a sell off and we're seeing a lot of rotation We seems that the, this type of rotation you know is the theme going on right you know what we see right now is you know opportunities and kind of like rotation almost back into reopening things right something like retail consumer discretionary or you know semiconductors or fintech um so you know we just have to be you know conscious of this overpriced market areas and specifically from the portfolio design, what does that mean you know, then? just pair
0: to, back or yeah. sit
5: tight yeah. what does it mean
0: Well, I
5: think pair back, you know, so when we're looking within the portfolio design, right, you know, when we're looking at certain sectors of our portfolios that have been so inflated, because, you know, particular areas, let's say technology, for example, right, you know, if your normal allocation to technology is X, you know, and all of a sudden it's, twice that, you know, because of such big appreciation, now would be a good time to rebalance and also really carefully evaluate that that portfolio because not all tech is created equal. You know, if we take that sector, for example, you know, we have to look at earnings and we have to look at forward looking projections. This is very much a stock pickers market, in my opinion.
1: Gotta ask you about Bitcoin because it is down again, more than ten percent today. It has been a wild week for the cryptocurrency. A decline earlier this week in one day of more than thirty percent before it bounced back. How do you watch Bitcoin as an asset in terms of how it could the the risk off trade from that could actually go into equity markets? Well, like Kim, it's
5: certainly is is a difficult area to address because there has been so much volatility. And I think that in the large scheme of things, the fact that we recently, just recently started really recognizing, you know, that that part of the market as an asset class, you know, in itself is a really big development. Um, And I think investors going into, you know, the state of investments have to expect higher volatility. That's just a reality.
0: So favorite investment right now?
5: I would say that going forward, favorite areas are banks, banks, materials.
0: Okay,
5: Absolutely. Because, you know, when you think about it, the one area that is not going to be a surprise for anyone are going to be higher rates. And maybe not right now, because absolutely, you know, we all know it's not a surprise that Federal Reserve, first and foremost, is committed to Seeing this economy all the way through recovery, but higher rates are coming. You know, this is just just real. We just don't know. You know, how long it will take us to get there, and banks. And you know fintech, you know it's also you know kind of just an area corrected to it. They're positively correlated, you know, with a higher rate environment. You know the same with materials. Uh, the other uh, area of the market that we really like, you know, quite simply any high quality, reasonably priced areas like healthcare. Healthcare is a perfect example. You know we see a lot of exciting opportunities.
1: So if a client comes to you right now and and wants to get into the markets. Um, and and move over to you and they have a large amount of money. How, how do you advise them?
5: So Timing wise. Exactly, Tim. I think that that we just, we have to take into considerate, considerate consideration where we are. Um, and with this bull market, right? But at the same time, with this great degree of volatility, we would advise them to dollar cost average into this market. Like Not over um, a year? Of- over, I would say, a shorter time frame. Let's Mm. say take a shorter time frame, like six months, because we don't want to miss this bull market either. Mm. We don't want to take such a long time to get in that we're missing all of those appreciation opportunities. But with expected volatility, I think that the key here is to be very selective when it comes to security selection and extremely disciplined, you know, with going into this high-quality areas and kind of, you know, nice, high-quality, well-balanced portfolio will do the trick.
0: All right, we're going to leave it on that note. Caterina, thank you so much. Have a great weekend, Caterina Simonetti. She is senior vice president, private wealth advisor at Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management.
1: Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes,
0: SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg Global News.